Hi, I'm Tom Henriksen from MyITCareerCoach.com, where we build great tech careers. And welcome to Tech Career Talk. Today, we're going to talk about fixing your scrum with Ryan Ripley from Agile for Humans. Ryan, introduce yourself to the people here at Tech Career Talk. Sure. Thanks, Tom. Uh, so the, as Tom said, this is Ryan Ripley. I am the, the host of the Agile for Humans podcast. You might have heard of me from there. I'm a professional scrum trainer with scrum.org. Um, I speak at conferences around the globe. Um, I've been either doing, thinking about, or lying about Scrum for the past 20 years, um, and most recently became an author with, uh, co-wrote a book with Todd Miller, uh, Fixing Your Scrum, Practical Solutions to Common Scrum Problems, and now I am here before all of you, hopefully saying something useful by the end of this podcast. <laughs> excellent, excellent. Well, it's great to have you on board, Ryan. I've been listening to Agile for Humans for a long time, um, but with Tech Career Talk, we like to talk a little bit about people's you know, career journey. So first off, Ryan, I know you haven't always been involved in the agile world. Tell us a little bit about your career journey. Yeah. So I started 20 years ago as a Java developer. So I was, I've always worked or primarily, primarily have worked in the fortune 500. So I was with a, a medical device company writing clinical trial software for the majority of my programming career. So hardcore Java dev really got into it. Um, and about that 10 year mark, um, started family started, and it became more difficult uh, to keep up with the technology. You know, Java especially, there's a thousand APIs to do the same thing. Um, and, and at that point, there was just constantly new things. And I was, you know, I, back when I was a younger person, I would love staying up till 2 a.m. and trying new stuff and all these side projects with wife and kids. And, you know, that I just didn't love it anymore. And I saw some opportunities in project management. So I really loved the idea of, I didn't want to get away totally from tech, I still wanted to, but I really liked this idea of serving teams and helping them learn how to deliver and doing the things like the blocking and tackling needed to get projects out. So I became a project manager and I was a straight up PMBOK loving, PMP following, command and control PM, right? <laughs> and I loved it. And I, I thought I was doing the world some good. I thought I was putting good things out into teams. I thought I was really helping and I was, you know, had moderate success in that space for a number of years. And in 2013, I went to uh, a two-day Scrum class with Ken Schwaber. So wow. I got to see Ken teach a, you know, a, a professional Scrum Master class. And after two days, I was just, I was just blown away. I, I just, I, it, it, it was upsetting, actually. It was really rattling um, because a lot of the things that Ken goes over in the two-day class, it just, oh, in the classes we teach today, it shows people that command and control doesn't work in a complex space, that empiricism is what we need to bring forward. And it's really experimentation and, and all these great things and how when we're doing project management, scope has to be flexible. And like all these ideas just came, you know, bursting in my head. And I was just, I was a little upset. I was a little confused. I was inspired. Like it's just this whole grab bag of emotions. And so I went back to work and I decided I was just going to try to do one or two things. I didn't, I realized that if I tried to bring the whole Scrum framework at once into a large organization, I was going to get crushed. So I just started with defining a definition of done. And I started with effective daily scrums, right? Let's, let's meet in the morning and not to give status, but let's figure out how we're going to collaborate for the day. And then let's truly define what done means, not just for a product, not for just a, a feature, but for quality. Like what does quality mean? What do we think releasable means? And just by doing those two things, we started delivering just a little bit sooner. And over time, I was kind of giving up a lot of the command and control. I was really, you know, it took me a good year 
to really figure out what servant leadership meant, what it meant to you know, have the dev team stand up and give, uh, give that uh, presentation and not me, and to have the product owner step up and take responsibility for budget, not me, and realizing that the majority of the work I was doing, the career path I was choosing had nothing to do with what I wanted. And it was really tricky, right? And so I went through that, that kind of transformation and got a lot of good experience as a scrum master in many of the Fortune 500s you hear about on the news every day or see in the papers or see in commercials. And then at some point, I fell for a trap, Tom. I, uh, <laughs> so I was, I, was, I was having a lot of success serving teams and I was becoming very popular in organizations. And I, you know, because if you're uh, an effective scrum master, you've worked in the organization, you've made friends in HR, finance, legal, you know, you, you've actually like holistically have helped the organization change and grow. Yeah. I said, hey, we think you'd be pretty good at people management. And I stepped right into that bear trap, <laughs> right? And uh, so I went down that path for a while. And I actually think it's a, I think management, I think in, in the agile space, especially management gets a bad rap. I think it's a position of honor. I think management and leadership is essential to the work that we do as agilists. And so I have yes. a lot of respect for it. I mean, it's why I'm the steward of the, the leadership path with scrum.org. Like I really believe that this is an important aspect of our, of our work. And so I went down this path and I made it up to, I don't know, some kind of VP level, uh, executive level, uh, again, in these big companies. And then I quit. And it was a really wild moment, right? Because I, I thought that once you get to the top or towards the, 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 some of the higher rungs of the ladder, like for me, success meant that I had an office with a door that I could slam, you know? And I, and I was like, finally, I've made success. it. Exactly. And so I went into my office and I slammed the door and I smiled to myself and I sat in my chair and I kind of was staring out of the window um, in my office and I blinked and it, I swear this was just a wild moment. And I just fast forwarded 20 years. Yeah. And I was still sitting in that chair and I was like, what am I doing in this chair? How am I, help, I going to be helping the world? What am I? And I just, it scared me. It really horrified me. Um, yeah. And so I quit. And so that was a very interesting conversation with my wife that night. I bet. <laughs> like I went home and I'm like, we've made it. We're in a very big company. We're getting huge benefits. The salary is great. And I'm going to resign. And that was a, <laughs> a, a, it was a really fascinating moment. But I really just, I wanted to go back to serving and working with teams. Yeah. So I went back to, I found a great scrum master opportunity. I went back to that role. And don't get me wrong, I, I loved being an executive. The camaraderie at an executive or management team level is amazing. And I, and I go back in, in and out of that on, short term, on a, on a short-term basis every once in a while. But my jam is really that scrum master role, serving yeah. people and teams. So I went back to that for a while. Um, Scrum.org has always, I've always had a great relationship with Dave West and Steve Porter and Daphne Harris and you know, Kelly Mooseman and all the, the staff there is just, they're amazing people. They really love one another. They love their, their trainers. They want us to do great. And they brought me along and they finally convinced me to go down the trainer path, which I, I now regret putting off so long. You know, Eric <laughs> Nyberg, another great uh, person up there out of their marketing side, he pulled me aside and it's like, man, this is, you're, you're a fit for this. You can talk, you're articulate, you understand this, you've worked it from multiple areas. And, and finally I said, awesome. And, and the scrum.org family is just so great. Um, yeah. It, it's just a wonderful community. I've learned a lot from them. And so I've gone down this trainer path and I haven't really looked back. And so now, I mean, I've, I've been in multiple countries. I've taught across the globe and I'm just having a blast. I'm living an amazing life trying to help people uh, do their work a little bit better. So we bring it to today. And, and like you mentioned earlier, you just published this book, Fixing Your Scrum. So tell us about that book and what was the kind of what was the 
impetus for writing the book. Yeah. And, and so over the past 20 years, Todd and I both, like we've been doing, we're about the same age. We each, we're both bald and have beards and I have very similar backgrounds, <laughs> right? Um, Todd's more from a product uh, background. I'm more from a scrum master, uh, you know, executive background, although we've both played many of the similar roles. Mm-hmm. And we, we were sitting around um, one night. So Todd and I co-train quite a bit. And when you travel, everyone thinks that the trainer life is glamorous. And really, it's a lot of holiday inns and Uber, Uber Eats. Exciting. Um, it is. It's amazing, right? Um, <laughs> we're sitting in a hotel lobby. We were, we were kind of just hanging out, talking after class. And, um, and over a beer, we were just like, what's, all the, what's the weirdest things you've ever seen a company do? Or what are some of the anti-patterns that you're tired of seeing? Or, or what are some of the common questions that we, keep, we just kept on getting? And we just, after our list got to like 50, 60, 70 items, and we're like, wait a minute, wh- what are we doing here? And, and so we, we made this decision. I had initially gotten a book deal with Prague Prague and I had started, to, I started down this path. Um, but then Todd and I had this conversation and I was starting to get stuck. And then we started listing stuff off. I'm like, you know what, man, why don't you just join me on this book journey? I mean, I think together we could, we've seen enough stuff that this could really be interesting. And so Todd came on board, you know, basically saved the project because you know, yeah. I was really flaming out. Right? If you've never written a book, it's a massive undertaking mm-hmm. and it's just, it's lonely um, so I got, I got, my friend came along, we paired up on this. We had this big list of, of things we've seen. I'm like, you know what, this is interesting. So let's go ahead and describe all these anti-patterns, but, but let's not just do the theory stuff because there's no shortage of scrum books on the market. There's plenty of books out there. There's plenty of like, here's what scrum is the one ones. There's plenty of videos, podcast books that tell you exactly what the framework is. And so we decided let's do something a little different. We're going to list out these anti-patterns. We're going to organize the book by the Scrum events and roles and artifacts. But then we're going to explain as consultants, as Scrum masters, as trainers, exactly the things that we do when we encounter these issues. And so we didn't hold anything back. And so we basically said, look, when we go into a company and we see that the daily Scrum is in a bad place, here's the things that we look for. Here's the questions that we ask. Here's the liberating structure that we use. Here's how we facilitate, you know, whatever it is. And we just put it all in, right? And so. It's funny, in some of the praise quotes at the beginning of the book, uh, a good friend of ours, he actually, in the praise quote, put, I'm kind of mad at these guys because <laughs> they're going to get, if people read this book, they're not going to need as many consulting hours. <laughs> and, and so he was kind of joking, but 10 or 15 other consultants have reached out to us and said, hey, seriously, this will cut into our hours. And, but that's what we wanted. We wanted people yeah. to, you know, do we teach some theory in the book? Absolutely. But we wanted people to be able to flip to a chapter that let's say they're struggling with the daily scrum. By the end of reading that chapter, they should have two or three ideas that we've given them that are new to them, hopefully, yeah. that they can go try. And if that fixes that, that issue they're having, then, then it was worth the 40 bucks or 30 bucks, however, how much ever the book costs now. I mean, and, and that's just a huge win. So we really tried to put, you know, collectively our 40 years of experience of helping teams get better, slam it into this book and give scrum masters, product owners, dev team members, and even executives kind of this roadmap, this idea of how they could go about diagnosing and seeking answers to these, these issues. So it's really for everybody then, it sounds like you, you talked about a few people that it's for, you know, like you said, dev managers, sure. developers, scrum masters, um, anybody can use it. Anyone who's trying to make sense of their scrum practice will benefit from the book. I mean, this is, I mean, Todd and I have, we've talked about this where this book really is kind of a love letter to Scrum Masters, but it's a love letter that kind of has a harsh beginning. 
Yeah. You know, we do lay out very clearly up front that these, these anti-patterns flow from a scrum master. Mostly, most of this, the anti-patterns, I should be fair, not all of them. Most of the anti-patterns flow from a scrum master who is not performing their role well. And that's a hard message to, to yeah. hand. But, but if, if the scrum masters who are truly looking for improvement, if they'll stick with us after kind of that harsh kind of comment, They'll see that we, we love them. We want them to be wildly successful. And we've put everything we know about becoming better scrum masters and serving organizations and serving teams into this book to where they should be able to pull quite a few ideas from it and hopefully help uh, people change and grow and ultimately deliver great products. So you talked about anti-patterns that you guys were kind of cataloging and bringing those into the book. So what is like, what is like one of the big ones that you, you had to put in there? Yeah, so there, there's a, oh, it's like, which child is your favorite, right? Yeah. I'm not supposed to admit which one, but we all have one. Um, you know, there's a couple. I think for me, the sprint goal is, uh, this is like, I can just get so triggered and upset on this topic so quickly. Yeah. When I see a team not using a sprint goal, I just think it's tragic. Um, mm -hmm. and, I, and that's kind of strong language, but I mean it. I think it's tragic. You know, the sprint goal is designed to give uh, the development team, a connection to a customer. I don't think most people realize this nuanced point with the sprint goal, that the sprint goal is not listing out everything you want to accomplish in a sprint. It's not listing out JIRA tickets you want to see fulfilled. It's not, it's not, um, it's not, it's not supposed to be a statement of scope, mm -hmm. right? The sprint goal is this objective. It's this outcome. It's what we're investing in as a, as a team, as a company, as an organization that by the end of the sprint, it's that thing that we're empowering a customer to do. It's how we're changing their life. It's how we're, it's a, it's a new outcome or opportunity we're creating for that customer. And it's so important that we get that right. Um, because if we don't, uh, the, the cleanest way, the easiest way to demotivate a dev team is to disconnect them from the why of their work. Yeah, and not yeah. giving them that sprint goal almost guarantees you've disconnected them from that. So then they become backlog lumberjacks. They're just chopping through the product backlog, never sure why they're doing each feature. Mm -hmm. Apathy st sets in. It almost becomes resentful work. And so yeah, this sprint goal yeah. really changes a team's culture. It connects us to customer. But it also, I mean, it, it can also align us to greater organizational goals. And when we know, like every time we're touching a keyboard, how we're serving the greater good for the company and for the customer changes the way we show up. It changes the way that we behave. It, it, it may, you can't help but be engaged and excited to do the work. Do you find that with the sprint goal, because I know I've seen you post a lot about that on Twitter, um, that is it something that it's misunderstood or, or people avoid it or they just don't use it correctly? What, what do you see the most, Ryan? I think it's all the above. I think in sprint planning, people get really wrapped around the axle on a few topics, right? Mm -hmm. So people will say, you know, who, who sets the sprint goal? Is it the product owner or the dev team? And my answer is, I don't care. Have one. Yeah. And so if the product owner shows up and says, hey, this is why we're investing in this sprint, that could be the formation of a sprint goal. But it's a collaborative relationship between the dev team and the product owner. The dev team decides what work to pull into a sprint. The product owner decides whether or not to fund the sprint. So they have to work together. And so who comes up with it? I mean, the dev team, if they have a great idea for a sprint goal, product owners listen right? Because if they're bought in, if you're co-creating that sprint goal with the dev team, that means they, you don't have to hold the dev team accountable. They'll feel personally responsible because they have some skin in the game, right? And so I think people get really bent out of shape over who, who comes up with that goal. And I, and I really think yeah. it doesn't matter. Just have one. 
I think there's also a lot of confusion around, well, Ryan, we've built out this product backlog and not everything in the product, or I'm sorry, we've built out the sprint backlog and not everything in the sprint backlog relates to the sprint goal. Mm-hmm. My answer is, so what? Just have one thing in your sprint backlog that relates to that sprint goal that makes that possible. Everything else is still valid, but man, we have to make sure that one thing that ties to the sprint goal happens. Yeah. Um, I think the last thing we see is just the crafting of a sprint goal. And so we've tried to come up with some guidelines on this. I mean, you should never see a comma in a sprint goal, (laughs) right? You should never see the word and in a sprint goal. Um, You should never see a ticket number in a sprint goal. Um, These are supposed to be concise. They're supposed to have an emotional impact. They're supposed to to describe an outcome. And we're supposed to leverage the, one of the scrum values, especially called it's focus. You know, this is a focused outcome. If we have the word and or commas in it, then we've, we've kind of diluted what we're after. Um, and so I think those three things, it's what we see a lot. Um, we certainly spend a lot of time in the book in this space trying to help out. Um, but I think if people just follow the, the basics that we just went through, they're going to see an improvement not only in um, the team's ability to focus on an outcome. I think you're going to see uh, the dev team really... Um, coalescing and swarming around this, this goal. And I think you're also going to see behaviors change and perhaps you'll see more engage, more engagement and more engaged attitudes as, as the work progresses. Okay, Ryan, I want to ask you a, kind of a question from my personal perspective. So f- currently I'm working with a company that's really just transitioning to start to use Scrum. They're really getting caught into a lot of things about, you know, how we can script out every change from like you brought up the command and control project managers um, and how Scrum's going to work. I, I was in a conversation today about the sprint planning and it was just a lot of minutia we were getting into. Is this a book for more a mature like organization that's adopted Scrum or, or wh- where do you see that fit for it? Now, I, I think the company you're working at should buy at least 50 copies um, hand it out to everybody. Yeah. And make sure they read it. I no. I mean, that would be great, but I, this book is for everybody. I mean, some, some knowledge of Scrum is expected as you dive into this book. Experience with the Scrum framework was, will certainly help. Yeah. I, I've started handing this out. So I am the professional agile, agile leadership steward for scrum.org. I teach the, the PALI course quite a bit. I've started handing this to executives saying, read this, even if you don't fully get the framework, Watch for the behaviors, yeah. watch for the traps, because if you see these activities, you're wasting money. I want you to see how this, how this, how this framework should be performed. I want you to see how teams can behave and, and some of the things to look for and avoid, you know, empower your scrum masters to avoid these pitfalls. Yeah. And so I, I think you know, anyone reading it can benefit, but I will say some experience with scrum will be helpful. Mm-hmm. Um, and some knowledge of the framework uh, certainly can't hurt. We do kind of address that. We kind of have a bootstrapping, you know, first ch- first chapter where it's like, all right, look, here's a very brief. We do not. We probably spend two pages brief intro to Scrum, yeah. and then, and encouraging people to to read the Scrum guide. And other than that, like <laughs> we do not talk about the basics. Like we yeah. are, we're going to talk about very nuanced specific situations. So mm-hmm. at least read the Scrum guide and then make this your second book. Yeah, that's that's the thing with the Scrum Guide being out there. It's like everybody should read that. It's it's short. I think what seventeen or eighteen pages or yeah, something yeah. like that. Yep. So not long, and and they can get a lot from it. So, boy, Ryan, I really appreciate you coming on. Any closing thoughts? 
Uh, you know what? I, uh, I think for a closing thought, I would just say for the people out there who are struggling with Scrum, you know, I hope you invest in this book. I think it can help you. But also, I want you to not beat yourself up so much. We see a lot of companies and Scrum Masters and teams kind of getting down on themselves and just realize that, you know, when you, when you take, uh, here's, here's some perspective, right? Every story we tell in the book, and there's, you know, a ton of stories, they're all failure stories from Todd and I. Like, we have messed up with this framework so many times. We have new, new failure stories since the publishing of the book a month ago that we, sh- that we could add in a second edition. <laughs> so we are still learning. We're still di- digging deep into this framework. We're still, you know, having these wonderful serendipitous moments where things either go well or they don't. And just realize that you've accepted experimentation into your life when you've, when you have, when you've embraced Scrum as a framework that you're going to use to deliver work. And that means that every once in a while, you're going to be surprised. So enjoy the process, inspect and adapt, try to get a little bit better each day. And over the course of two, three, four, five years, I think you'll, you'll see your scrum practice thrive and flourish and, and grow into something amazing and just kind of enjoy it. And, and please just relax a bit. You know, things are solvable. Teams can get better and uh, just enjoy the ride. Thanks, Ryan. We really appreciate it. Oh, thank you, Tom. This was a, a ton of fun. If you have any questions, please email me, email me at tom at myitcareercoach.com. And don't forget to subscribe to our YouTube channel and our podcast. On behalf of Ryan Ripley, I'm Tom Henriksen from myitcareercoach.com, where we build great tech careers. And thanks for watching Tech Career Talk.